Hey guys, welcome back to the Warlad Podcast. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode. Season 2 is starting to come to an end, but I do have some unreal guests to finish this season, so I am really looking forward to that. And thanks to anyone who has shared a podcast on social media or in person throughout the year. It is very much appreciated. And thank you very much for anyone who has got themselves some Warlad merch. You guys are the real lads for helping keep this podcast going. And if you do enjoy this podcast and you are keen to support, head over to waterlad.com where there's plenty of ways where you can help this podcast. Anyway, I have a genuine superstar on for you today, so let's get to it. Righto guys, today I'm lucky enough to be joined by a man who has officially put up more fins than anyone on this planet. He is a freakish talent and not many have made international rugby look as easy as he has. He's obviously one of the great Tasman Marco, he's been a huge part of the Crusaders' success and now he's forced his way into the All Blacks' wing spot with some unbelievable form. And as you all know, he's on what a lad because he is one of the great lads. It is the man himself, Will Jordan. Welcome mate. Thanks for having me on, Jimmy. Quite the steering intro there. Um, no, nah, like I've been looking forward to you on this uh, podcast for a while. I've been disappointed that it's taken this long to, to uh, tear it up. So you were one of those guys I was expecting to be able to get into the studio. I was hoping you're going to be coming oh. back to you know Tasman or maybe show your face now and again in the Nelson region. But mate, you've just blown right up and you've, you're gone for good. I don't think you'll be coming back here for a long, long time. Oh, well, I would always enjoy my time in Nelson and Blenheim, so yeah, fingers crossed I'll be able to get back in the district at some point. Mate, and you have put up a thousand fins up, you're always ripping the Tasman Marco, even Quinny's still into you about it being too slow, what, what's that all about? That was unbelievable from Quinn Strange, the feedback he was giving there on my fins up, um, <laughs> although to be fair, I got, you would have seen the video, I got quite stuck into him and I was questioning whether or not he'd actually put a fins up before in his life. And then he did actually score on the final. And I don't think I've ever seen one, someone put one up as quickly as he did. And geez, it was a rigid old thing. It was like, <laughs> he was obviously excited by it. So good to see the forwards getting stuck in behind it too. Oh, 100%. And, mate, what are you up to at the moment? You're obviously in isolation. How are you, how are you filling your days? Yeah, it's been reasonably quiet in here, to be fair. Um, pretty big supporter of the NBA, so sort of games to pop at about one o'clock every day and go through to about sort of five or six. So just kind of been in the rack watching those throughout the day and the afternoons. And um, obviously the Black Caps have started up uh, their test against India, which has been cool to watch as well. Mate, you're just in full-on sports mode. Yeah, absolute Cody. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. another hobby. <laughs> no, that's good stuff and um, obviously let's talk about the tour um, you're, I know you're a very astute thinker of the game what what was your take on the tour give us the rundown from your point of view yeah geez, what part do you want a summary of no I think it was um, well, obviously just personally for myself it was cool to get away um, on tour of the All Blacks last year but um, cool to be able to get away again and for me get up to the Northern Hemisphere for the first time um Playing the environments up there, which can be pretty daunting with the just how vocal the crowds are, and mm. even playing the Springboks the first time as well, it was just cool to be able to um, get stuck in those environments. And uh, I guess as a team, um, you know, we had plenty of time to get it on and off the field. And I think off the field, um, you know, the connections really grew. And by the end of it, um, you know, we were getting on pretty well. And 
turns out on-field performances, I thought we started really well, and obviously those last couple of games have left a slight sour taste in the mouth for the summer. So, yeah, it's a bit disappointing to finish like that and gives us a chance to have a good think over the summer and um, have a good super next year and hopefully get another crack at the Irish and those other teams. What was your reflection on those two games to finish? What what do you guys talk about in your reviews and stuff? Um, yeah, game management was um, a pretty big one, particularly off the back of that Irish test. Um, I guess as a team, we haven't reviewed the French game too much just because we flew out to the next day, but particularly the Irish game, like I thought the Irish were outstanding in that game. Like They really like threw it at us, I think. Um, what was it, 170 tackles or something in that first half? Like We were sort of holding on for dear life. Um, so it was just about like how can we sort of hold more ball and be more effective when we've got it? Because yeah, any time you have to make 170 tackles in a half, then um, mm-hmm. it's going to be reasonably tough, tough going. Shit, yeah. And talk to me about the um, France game. I know you guys won't mention it, but a nine o'clock kickoff is <laughs> crazy late to have the body ready for an international test match. Eh? So how did you guys find that? Yeah, it's interesting. Like it's a pretty, um, like it's a big day of code in the Northern Hemisphere during these autumn tests. Like you've got test matches kicking off from, like we played Italy at two o'clock and then um, basically there's just big games all the way through till, till nine. So it is a bit different with that late kickoff. Um, oh, man, I guess it's just a case of just probably managing your sleep throughout the day. Like, I quite enjoy having a kip on game day, so I just made sure I got a couple of hours in the afternoon, and that meant that by about 9 o'clock, I was, I was ready to go, I think. Um, a few of the boys who were sort of early birds and go to sleep early, they were sort of maybe a little bit more affected by it, but um, I was bed pretty late anyway, so it wasn't too much issue for me. Was there anyone who stood out for you from any of the teams that you played while over there? Was there anyone you thought, man, this this guy's good? Um, I thought, like, from initially, this, when you ran out against the South Africans, it was like, like, they're big boys, like a big dominant pack. And I thought a couple of their forwards, like um, Itzabeth and Khaleesi, like, they were just, yeah, physical specimens. Um, they were probably the first two. And then... Um, I'll give a shout out to another one lad. It would be James Lowe, actually. I thought um, in that game against yeah. us, he played um, very well. Like we know he can, like he played in New Zealand for so long, but yeah, I thought he played really well, just his energy and stuff. And then, um, yeah, probably the 9 10 combo for the French um, to Pont and Intermac, um, two sort of youngish guys. They had a pretty strong performance, I thought, against us, ran the strings well. Yeah, mate, some some good options there. There's some quality players around there. Eh? I can't believe I've just given JLO a shout-out, but <laughs> no, he deserves it. It's He's coming on shortly me. too as well, actually. Oh. He'll probably give you a shout-out too, no doubt. Oh, I don't know. He's a good lad. Tough to get praise from the man, but he was just stoked with his D-read. Who was that on? Rico. He's oh. money to stop hearing about that in the media, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, it's good to see him playing well, though. And you obviously uh, cemented your uh, wing spot. Um, do you still prefer fullback? Where do you see yourself? Do you, do you like 15 or winger? Um, yeah, like I was pretty happy just um, on the wing for the ABs this year. Um, it was cool to sort of get a, a good run of games and string a few together, and I think that helps um, rather than sort of playing one and then you're in and out of the team. So that was cool, and... I think for me, like, I haven't actually played too much wing before, so yeah, just on the back of that continuity stuff, it was cool to be able to take some learnings from game to game. Um, in terms of the fullback v wing stuff, like it's 
a bit sort of either or for me. Like, like I enjoy playing fullback for the Crusaders, and that's sort of where I played most of my footy. But like, yeah, if it's on the wing for the ABs, then um, that's happy days as well. Pretty good kid running around fullback, especially at the moment. So let them let them do it out there, mate. There's a heap of cattle everywhere though, eh? And the outside yeah. backs and at ten. I mean, you and even the midfield as well. You guys are you guys are not short of options in that back line at the moment. No, I think it's particularly been the beauty of the year we've had with having such a big squad and having so many games is that, you know, it's given a lot of guys opportunities. And I think basically everyone who went away on tour at some points put on a pretty standout performance. Like, um, obviously saw Quinny and Braids in the midfield, particularly against USA, were pretty strong. And Quinny as well in that last test. And, you know, Bridgie, Sevu, uh, Rico obviously had a great year. Davey coming back. So, like you say, um, yeah, there are plenty of boys putting their hands up. And you're hoping to be straight back at fullback for the Crusaders, you mentioned. There's some quality outside backs down there as well. You've got um, your Sevus, your Bridges, your Davies, and um, Leicester obviously had a huge season here for Tasman as well to add to that mix. You've got Enor. Mate, you guys are not short of backs down there either. Yeah, geez, the competition doesn't get any easier, does it? Um, I like to find a new position, I reckon. Just outside backs just keep popping up out of money everywhere. <laughs> the nightmare. Nah, it's um, cool. I think... Um, yeah, obviously we've had those guys over the last couple of years who um, we've sort of always had one or two guys injured. So over the last few years yeah. with Jack being out, Braden being out, Bridgie being out, um, it's sort of all managed to work out. They're like, everyone's been able to get out there. But, geez, I mean, if the team gets run of being injury-free, then, yeah, I'd hate to be raised trying to pick it. Even, like, the young boys coming through, like Shay had a good year for Canterbury, I thought, from what I saw. He looked pretty classy in that 15 jersey. And, uh, obviously, Kenina Holo coming down from the necky as well. He was... Scoring tries are fun, so um, that'll certainly be a pretty competitive unit down there next year. Mate, you guys are stacked. Obviously, with the long tour and stuff, you obviously have to um, find something to do in your spare time, and sounds like you guys were right into your golf. That was what you were living for on tour. Oh, it is. The boys do um, enjoy their golf for sure. There's a pretty good group of us now, like sort of you get in between three to four full groups, 12 to 16 guys on the day off, which is good. We actually had in our week off in Noosa, we had this like Ryder Cup format going. So we played three days straight, the two Barretts as captains and um, went right at it. So that was good fun. But um, yeah, I mean, some of the courses that Bodie was able to organise on the Northern Tour were pretty good going. He's got a future in um, golf logistics, I think. But um, <laughs> yeah, the boys were, boys were hacking, hacking their way around some good courses. It'd be nice if um, we'd played a bit better, but. And uh, it's, it's always enjoyable getting out on the day off and just being able to have a bit of a hack. And like, we take it reasonably seriously, but at the same time, like, if it doesn't go too too good, then mm-hmm. not a biggie. Yeah. And talk to me about the 18th hole at La Golf in France. Oh. Um, I've had this question sent in from Nuggie, so I'd love to hear what it's all about. Oh, um, <laughs> me and Sammy Kane have uh, taken on, throwing balls, me and Sammy Kane taking on Nugget and Geordie and to be fair we're probably we've probably controlled most of the match well it was pretty even but we were sort of maybe one or two up through about 15 and then it's tightened up we've come down 18 and par 5 long story short I've, I've four part of the 18th green and we've lost oh. the match <laughs> I, had like a, I had like a downhill four footer for the win because we are all square coming down 18 I had like a four foot downhiller and Taking about five minutes to read it, I could have sworn it was straight, so I just belted it. <laughs> it's missed, which has left like an eight foot on the way back to the half. And I missed that too. 
<laughs> and that was funny because oh. the, the hole was um the hole was like surrounded by water. So as soon as I missed that other part, I've just whacked my ball into the drink. And on that <laughs> hole, I'd actually put a ball, my approach shot into the green, into the water as well. So I made eight on the hole. And Brody Rotella had gone and fished that ball out while I was putting because I'd finished. So as I walked off yeah. the green, he's throwing that to me. And well, I wasn't interested in that. So I grabbed that and I'll just rip that back <laughs> in the drink as well. Oh, yeah, I was so good. <laughs> Mate, that's so unlike you. Bottled it. <laughs> I know. It was, it, was a, it was a shambles. There's obviously some good golfers in the group, eh? It sounds like Geordie's playing off scratch. And where do you, where do you fit on the rankings? Um, yeah, I'm sort of probably mid tier. Like I've, yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to be higher than what I am, but top five. Um, oh. I'll probably be about sixth. Oh yeah, yeah. Jordy, like Jordy, shot seventy two that day at the Golf National. Um, Jordy, yeah. Bodie, Damien, Weedy, Nugget, they're probably better than me. Davies, Davey and I have usually been pretty similar. He probably played a bit better than me on tour, so I might even be in the seventh slot. <laughs> I tell you, one guy who I'm down the rankings. Than, I know. <laughs> one guy I'm definitely better than is Anton Brown though. Um, and TJ Perinara, actually. Two guys who are definitely behind me. <laughs> oh, TJ oh, would hate that. Nah. Oh, he would. Um, so, no, I think, I think it'll be a big summer for me, actually. Just really look to mm. get into my work, get down to the range, and get myself back down on that top five or six next year. It can be a good goal for me for 2022. <laughs> nice goals. What else have you got planned for your break? So when are you back with the Crusaders? Um, not back till sort of first week of February, so... Got a good oh, yeah, decent break. weeks off, which is nice. Um, yeah, I'm actually doing a summer school paper in here at the moment, so that's been a bit grim. Um, nice. What are you doing? Up and I can, just the economics paper. I've got about five papers to get on my degree, so just trying to hack away at that, and I thought quarantine would be a good time to chip away at it, but Look hopefully, at you that take up, yeah, hopefully that won't take up too much of my summer. It's done in a couple of weeks, so that'll be good. Um, yeah, golf. Uh, I've got the Black Clash in January, the cricket game, which will be good fun. Looking forward to that. Um, and, yeah, just catch – like, it's quite a good time in December just to catch up with, like, schoolmates and guys you don't see throughout the rest of the year that much when you're sort of stuck in the yeah. footy bubble. So, yeah, be good to yeah, catch up with those boys. What is that Black Clash like? What's, the, what's that whole experience like? Is it a bit of a joke around or is it pretty serious in there? Um, oh, it's a good couple of days. Like, um, the night before, they sort of have a bit of an event and – yeah, the boys head out for a few drinks and those sort of current guys, it's sort of almost a bit of their reunion throughout the year. There's some guys in there who haven't seen each other for a while and obviously for Team Rugby, there's some old faces as well. So firstly, it's just probably a, quite a cool couple of days just networking and having yarns with people from the two different codes and picking up hidden gems here and there. Um, in terms of the match, like, yeah, like you're playing pretty seriously. Like You're playing to win and going hard as you can. I think um, it's obviously a bit of a tough match up for the rugby players, so... I would imagine the cricket players at times are probably holding back a little bit. Um, yeah, they probably definitely are, but like it is a rugby team. We're, we're giving it snot. We have to, otherwise we'll get <laughs> And you've carried that side the last few years, haven't you, too, with your cricket background. You and Geordie, always the standout top scorers. Guys will be molting you up again this year. Mm, well, I'm a bit concerned this year. I opened the betting last year. Um but this year I've heard that Shane Bond's playing, so I'm not sure if I want to take, take the new ball against him. I don't know how quick he can bowl, but I'm not sure I want to find out. So um, I might take the coward route out and 
trying to be under four or five or something. <laughs> Although you don't want to be facing Vittori either, the wizard. So that's yeah, he, he looked hard to get away oh, last year for the boys. His end of field day. I didn't have to face him, luckily, but yeah, a few of the boys said he was just like, like I said, a wizard. He was just tough to get away. Obviously, yeah. still got all the tips and tricks. I think probably as a general rule, like it's easier for those spinners who are getting a little bit yeah. older for them to come in and bowl their four overs as opposed to someone trying to get off the long run um, yeah. when they're getting a, a bit older. So, um, yeah, he's definitely one to avoid. Nice. And ha- and how's your body in general? Like, is it feeling good? You've had a massive year of code. So, is the body feeling good or have you got a few niggles that you need to um, um, sort out during yeah, this Yeah, I guess there are a few niggles that kind of – yeah, there are a few niggles that sort of um, – Catch up to you at the end of the year. I actually tore my hammy in that last game against France. Um, oh, did you? When Rico was running away, I sort of, yeah, got a pretty good tug. So, um, yeah, I actually came off early in that game, which was disappointing. But my hammy had actually been niggly sort of the whole year. So it was probably fortunate that I got through to that last game without having a hiccup. So, um, yeah, that's probably the main one. There are other stuff. It's like you just got little sort of bumps and bruises here or there that accumulate. But, um, yeah, after the two months off, they usually sort of come right and, start the cycle all again. Always nice to get those few months off to just get that body back to where it needs to be, eh? Oh, hugely, I think. Particularly this time with what, like my hammy's probably a sort of, would have been like a six to eight week injury if it was in season. So that would have knocked a fair amount of code. So yeah, good time, I guess, for it to happen in the summer when I can give it a good rehab process and hopefully come back fit and firing. And what sort of pre-season training have they got on you guys since you're, you've, you've got this break, but you also need to, once you're coming back to Super Rugby, you pretty much need to be ready to go, eh? So what's that sort of pre-season training look like for you guys? Yeah, it's a bit of a balancing act. Like I certainly found it, um, like you say, you come back into pre-season, you're pretty much like into the comp straight away. And yeah, like I found that my first time doing that uh, at the start of this year, like it is a bit of a different experience trying to, get back up to full speed with only like a week or two of like team training. So it is definitely a bit of an art nailing that summer stuff. Like it's just sort of a mix of like, you want to refresh, but at the same time, you don't want to take too many steps backwards. So I think like in December, yeah, you're sort of looking to just turn the wheels over and um, get your conditioning up and a few gyms and that. And then I guess once you're getting into January and you're getting closer and closer to your return date, then you try to simulate the stuff they're doing in pre-season a little bit more and um, yeah. I guess wrap up the running and the speed work and maybe a bit of contact and that sort of thing just so that you don't get a fright when you head into day one of pre-season and can't move the next day. Mate, sounds like you nailed it. I'm looking forward to seeing you firing on all cylinders at round one. Oh, I haven't done it yet, so we have to touch base. <laughs> it's a good plan, but got to follow it. So um, touch base in February 1st and let you know how it's gone. <laughs> Might have spent too much time on Kaiteri Beach. <laughs> but as always, I always enjoy hearing how superstars like you get to the top and how it all starts for you. So give us a rundown on what your life growing up in Christchurch was like as a wee young fella. Um, had an older brother and an older sister. So um, particularly the, my older brother, I used to get pretty stuck in the backyard. I mean, used to play plenty of, probably more cricket actually, but um, we are always a pretty competitive duo and, um, yeah, enjoyed getting stuck in. Um, I guess from a young age, like, I was always really like into my sport, like rugby, cricket, running, whatever it was. Like I was was pretty keen on it, and always like enjoyed watching the All Blacks and the Crusaders and stuff coming through. And yeah, just went to local schools in the area, and I guess um, like in the Christchurch boys was 
was a big thing for my rugby, I guess, really. Like, it was a, a school with a lot of rugby history and um, a lot of All Blacks and that sort of thing. So, but at the same time, like, when I was at school, I didn't really take footy too seriously. Like, I was playing, but never really thought of it as a career or anything. Like, I wasn't going to the gym or doing any huge amount of extra training and that sort of thing. Like, I just sort of, um, I think I enjoyed about school footy was just playing with your mates. Like, you had a group of guys who... Yeah you sort of went right through school with and all through the grades you're playing with them. So both cricket and rugby, those are the sort of two things I really enjoyed at school was just having that group of guys that I played with for quite a long time. And then, yeah, I guess as I sort of left school um, and moved into the Crusaders Academy and went to uni, then that was when things started to ramp up from a footy point of view and headed up to Tassie. And um, I guess from there, it's sort of, you just go through sort of the pathways and um, it's been going okay so far. Mate, so humble. You boomed through those pathways and look at you now right on top of the game. So. But let's go back to your school a little bit. Uh, was it true that you were playing halfback? I, I can't quite comprehend you at halfback. No, I was very much a distributing nine when I was at school. <laughs> no, when, I was, when, I was, when I was younger, um was playing actually in the midfield. Um, but then when I got, went to high school, like I was just really short. Like I just didn't grow. Whatsoever, I was obviously True. a late bloomer, so like year 9, 10, 11, I was like front row of the class photo, like quite short. So I sort of, with that, I started to move to halfback, which was like actually quite a good transition because like it sort of meant that like I still made like the A-teams and stuff um, at halfback, whereas like in the midfield or on the wing, like I wouldn't have. Um, mm. And it just sort of kept me like involved in the game for a few years. But I wasn't actually enjoying my footy like that much at the time. And then sort of like... Halfway through year 12, um, I had a bit of a growth spurt sort of throughout that year and got a bit faster and stuff. And that's why I played a couple of games on the wing for the first 15. And then, yeah, year 13 came around and I thought, oh, geez, I'll give fullback a go. And since then, it sort of stuck. Um, I did actually end up one game in year 13. I did go back to halfback um, in the second half. We were playing Ron Carly or something. And uh, I was on the bench. And one of the halfbacks got injured, so our coach was like, oh, we'll just chuck you on a halfback in the second half, just to sort of give the other halfback a bit of a break too, because he'd been playing heaps of minutes. And the whole first half on the bench, like, because in year 13, like, I didn't pass the ball much. Like, I used to just carry everything. <laughs> and so the boys were saying, like, what are you doing playing halfback? Like, this isn't going to work. And I was like, no, 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 I'm just going to come on and just distribute the nut, like, you know. And it's going to be honest. Like, I'm going to come on, get the rocks, and just shift it. And like I've come on in the in the second half, like I've scored a hat trick, all from just like taxi, he's like carrying and stuff. And like I got off the field, and like my teammates couldn't believe it. Eh? They're like, "Mate, you're never going to play halfback again." So that was the last time I went in there, and uh, I haven't seen it since, unfortunately. Yeah. Um. Nah. Nah. You know, you know, until when I was playing it. Um. I did generally used to just play it more legitimately as a halfback, shifting up. We yeah. had a pretty questionable right to left um, <laughs> pass off me, though. So you sort of get the 10 to come a bit closer. <laughs> or I just throw it over his head to the 12. <laughs> just throw the two seeds like, off that side. Strong, or strong taxi, left taxi right. that way. Yeah, taxi, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, it was, it was, I was a bit of a makeshift nine, but it was all good. But the back, the back end of your Christchurch boys' career, you were. You were an absolute gun. You obviously, oh, you were the top try scorer throughout the um, UC competition. And mate, you were. There's some footage on YouTube of you absolutely ripping some team up. You were a gun. Yeah, I guess like what I sort of thought was, as my sort of physical attributes kind of 
caught up. Like I got a bit bigger um, and I got a bit faster. Like when I was younger and coming through the grades, like I did used to just watch like heaps of rugby. Like I was a real coty growing up. And I think like just from watching so much rugby, like I picked a few things up, like I guess in terms of like understanding of the game and like tactically in that. So I guess year 13, as I sort of like I said, got a bit bigger and got a bit faster, like that sort of, I guess, merged with like the sort of like knowledge I had for the game like at the time as sort of like still quite young. And I think that sort of, yeah, sort of helped me when I was a bit younger. And that was, mm. yeah, a bit of a bonus, just getting that speed and stuff coming through. But yeah, like I said, I had a pretty good year in year 13, but like I didn't make NZ schools or anything like that. So um, like off the back of that year, I sort of still wasn't really thinking rugby was going to be a career or anything like that. Probably wasn't until like the next sort of year or two that that sort of came into, into play. Did you ever have a decision where it was rugby or cricket? Because you were also a really good cricketer too, weren't you? Not really, to be fair. Um, coming through, I was sort of I was playing rep cricket as well, like under seventeens and stuff for Canterbury, but I never really sort of got like beyond that level. Like I was never really in the frame for probably like a New Zealand team or anything like that. And yeah, like I just sort of thought once I left school, I still yeah I didn't have as much ambition to go play club cricket. Like I had really enjoyed playing at school with my good group of mates and stuff but like when I left school I sort of thought yeah I'll just sort of leave it there and um, yeah that, that was sort of it really like it wasn't wasn't a case of I chose to play footy and not cricket um, I did have like academy stuff on during the summer that would have made playing cricket a bit niggly but um, yeah I wouldn't have headed down the professional field no. in the correct thing I don't think true <laughs> Mate, you might get one if you keep scoring runs in the black clash. Yeah, I know. I need to get the game broadcast in India somehow. <laughs> <laughs> How did you end up in Tasman then? How did um, Canterbury let you slip? Yeah, so um, off the back of the under-19s tournament, I was playing for Canterbury my first year out of school. I actually initially had an offer from uh, the strong arm, Waikato, to head did up there and, and play. I guess like Damien had just made the All Blacks, so they were probably thinking they were uh, short of fullback. Um, so they put an offer in, um, and then from there it was sort of a bit, it was an interesting process because at the time uh, Brad Moore, who is it now the All Black coach, he was helping out with the the Canterbury Nineteens, um, and he was a Crusaders coach at the time. And so I sort of met with him and like the academy manager, the Crusaders academy manager, and they sort of said, well we don't want you to go to Waikato for kind of obvious reasons because there was sort of some bad blood there after like Damien and Anton and those boys had all left sort of Christchurch head up there. So yeah. at the time it was kind of like, well, geez, we really don't want you going there. Um, and so they, they basically said Canterbury's pretty full at the moment. Um, we've got like Johnny McNichol, um, Bridgie, uh, they just signed Josh Mackay um, as sort of a 10 outside back already. So they said, oh, we're, we're pretty chocker and we don't really envision you playing wide of 10 for another, like, at least a year, maybe two. Yeah. Um, whereas Tasman, they were a little bit light from the outside backs and they needed a fullback. And I guess from that, like, sort of Crusaders influence, um, they sort of offered up a deal. And for me, it was a bit of a no-brainer because, one, I was pretty keen to play wide of 10 kind of straight away, um, mm-hmm. which Tasman were kind of offering up. And, and two, obviously, with Rangi being there, um, Leon McDonald, I thought, that was a real good opportunity for me as a fullback to to go learn off him. So, yeah, I, I was I was pretty happy to head up to Tassie and um, was actually really stoked and yeah, haven't looked back really. A great environment up there, and as you know, and really helped my game flourish. I think. Mm. And and how was Rangi to learn from? 
No, he was good. Um, yeah, like I think he's a little bit on the quieter side, but he, he was awesome. Like I think just what I learned off him was like just really like in-game situations, understanding like how a game flows and that sort of thing. Like it's hard to – he said one good thing about a coach who's played the game is that they've been in your shoes before, so they sort of know what it's all about. So probably more te- tactically rather than technically from him, like just talking to him around positioning and – um, from fullback, how hey, you can sort of pop up in the game more because you do a bit of a license on the field to kind of roam around. So um, just picking his brain on little tips here and there that won't necessarily be big things, but um, went a long way. That was, um, yeah, definitely helpful for me, particularly when I was so young. Did you feel ready? Did you feel ready to be playing at that level? You obviously wanted to be playing at that level. Did you feel like you were you were good enough at this stage? Uh, yeah, I think just prior to that minor 10 season was the um, – under-20 World Cup, which I went away with the under-20s, and we had a pretty strong team for that, um, ended up winning it. And I had a pretty good tournament for them, and that gave me a lot of confidence, I guess, that I was sort of ready to, even though under-20s, obviously, age group stuff, but you had a lot of good players there to sort of play well, and yeah. that gave me a lot of confidence um, moving forward. But like at the same time, going into minor 10, like you're never really sure how you're going to sort of translate. There was definitely a lot of nerves those first few games and stuff. And yeah, I think what helped, had a lot of good players around me. Like, I've obviously talked about Jada already, but he was on the left wing and he was a really good communicator. Um, very helpful for a fullback. And team on the right wing who I played a lot with um, at the 20s, guys like Hunty, um, Nank, Davey was putting around. So um, that definitely helped a lot, just having a bit of familiarity with those guys and having a good group who just let you play your own footy, I think. Like, at the time, we played and still do, but. Has he played a pretty like attacking brand of code, and that sort of suited my game, and then that yeah definitely helped me sort of translate in. And you were rocking the headgear back then too, eh? Would you would you look to bring that back? Yeah, I didn't rock it in my debut season, um, but it was probably as a result of my debut season where I got a couple of decent shots. Um, then in twenty eighteen, I bought the headgear out for my ten. Yeah, I sort of cringe when those videos pop back up. Man, <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, no, it's all good. Like I, I sort of I had a big layoff from concussion and confidence was down a bit so I sort of wore the lid just for a bit of extra I don't know, teaching or peace of mind and stuff I, I don't think it'll be making a comeback but I guess it played an important <laughs> role in just getting me back out there and um, getting stuck in but no I wouldn't expect to to, to see it uh, soon. <laughs> I've still got it at home in the bag if it needs to be bought out <laughs> get it out end of your do I reckon that's you <laughs> yeah you're right it'll be good luck <laughs> Sometimes you need a helmet on for those sorts of occasions. <laughs> <laughs> your first year, at, um, your first season with Tasman was was that good that you did get called into the Crusaders squad, didn't you? Was it wider squad or was it full squad to start? Um, no, it was full squad. But like I say, said before, like I had some sort of concussion problems, so I didn't actually end up playing that whole super season. I only really even started training fully and sort of. March, April, so it was pretty anticlimactic. Like I was pretty excited off the back of my team. Um, obviously, being from Christchurch, it was you know childhood dream stuff. Played for the Crusaders, so I was pretty pumped up about it. And then ended up just sitting on the sidelines, feeling pretty dusty for about eight months. So it was actually a bit of a grim start to my sort of super stuff. Um, yeah, it was pretty frustrating at the time actually, not being able to get on. And there's a few question marks around like how long that concussion stuff was going to last for and how long was I going to be able to play again. So it was pretty – it was actually a real tough eight months for me that first super year, to be fair. 
Yeah, I bet. I mean, like you said, just being signed with your dream team and first year in there and you can't even show the boys what you've got. You've just got to sit there on the sidelines. And with well, a concussion, makes it even worse because eh? you've got no definitive timeline when you're going to be back and um, no one can actually see that you're injured. So you're just sort of sitting there questioning yourself, aren't you? Yeah, that was it. And like, I was, I felt like a real fraud because I mean, we had so many legends in the Crusaders at that time, like, you know, like Rito, um, obviously Sammy is still there, but Dagger, Crotz, um, Toddy, like, Oe, just all these, like, legends of the game. And I was just thinking, like, I'm, well, that wasn't my fault, obviously, but I'm just on a smoko, just like, parted up on the sidelines, like, not doing anything. Yeah. I was like, geez, these blokes get me thinking, like, who is this young guy? Like, is he going to do a bit of work or, but I just felt, I just felt like, dusty that whole year like I just felt mm. real out of it and stuff and I actually ended up thinking it wasn't really concussion it was more this issue I had with like my inner ear that was causing it so that's why it actually took so long to sort out was it took so long to diagnose it as that so once that sort of diagnosis happened then I actually came good pretty quickly but it just took like ages that to happen so I wasn't really doing the exercises and stuff to come right but oh, yeah. yeah like I say geez, I, <laughs> yeah I just remember thinking like these old guys must just think like I'm just on a holiday here. Yeah. <laughs> it, oh, it wasn't good. Tough, eh? So was that actually a, an ear issue? It wasn't, there was nothing to do with concussion in the end? No, nah, well, I, had, I did get a head knock initially, but um, during that first one of 10, yeah, but then I sort of regrouped from that. I was able to always pass all the concussion tests and stuff, like the cognitive testing and that sort of thing. Yeah. I was getting, yeah, I was passing them sweet and it was all good. But then I was just, like my vision and stuff was just a bit like foggy in that. I just felt a bit sort of spacey. So, yeah, that was it was sort of all a bit confusing, but once they sort of did this testing, it was sort of a, a mix to my inner ear and, like, vision stuff. Once I sort of worked that out, it kind of correlated with the fact that, like, cognitively I was going all good. It was just more of that sort of balance or vision stuff. So, oh, it's a bit of a weird one, to be honest. Like, it's pretty – it's a bit of a um, strange thing. But, yeah, it sort of came right and haven't had too many problems with it since. So, um, mm. touch wood. So you would have been looking forward to getting back to Tasman after that frustrating season, and you went up there and carried the side to their first ever premiership. Yeah, it was pretty cool uh, that 2019 year. Um, I certainly didn't carry the team. We had plenty of um, <laughs> decent cattle that had plenty of decent cattle that year. But no, nah, it was a real cool year because the couple of years before that, like 2017, 2018, we made the final. I made the final. I made the semi in 2018. And, like, we had a really good team, but we just hadn't quite been able to get over the hump in those big games. And I think those two years before that were really key in us just growing as a group and uh, understanding what it took to win those big games. Um, and that sort of kind of correlated in 2019, us having such a good year. Yeah, the boys went unbeaten. I mean, we had a pretty stacked squad. We had, like, Squid came back. Um, Geordie, Tafu was playing. Piers, Crocky came back to Nelson. So we had a real strong team, but... Yeah, it was still a pretty impressive effort for, you know, Tassie to win the title, I thought, considering that, you know, seven or eight years ago, they were trying to boot us from the comp. Um, so it was, it was an amazing turnaround, and that was a pretty special thing, being able to bring that title back to um, Nelson and Blenheim. And pretty special do, by the sounds of it, from the, some of the other lads, and from all accounts, you go pretty well on it. Uh, it was a good do, yeah. We've got to celebrate these um, these occasions accordingly, don't you? So uh, we gave it a good crack. <laughs> There's actually a few photos that are out there. Like, oh, no, I think it would have been the Tuesday, maybe, which would have been day, what's that, sort of day four, maybe Wednesday, might have been day five. 
Um, and there's these photos, and we had this award ceremony on the Nelson like steps, and at the sort of front of the study, there's like these sort of steps, and it sort of leads out to this courtyard for the viewers at home. And um, there's this photo of us walking down the Nelson Main Street for this like parade, and like the boys have all got sunnies on, like holding um, blue power aids, heads down. <laughs> like, you, just, you can just tell that we're just in the hurt locker a bit. Um, it, it was good fun those few days. And then from that season, the following year, you end up getting your All Black call up. So, what's that like? Obviously, it's a big moment for every New Zealand kid to get that phone call, or um, however you heard it. How was your How was your one? Yeah, it was pretty epic actually. Um, like it was a it was a day after that North vs South game, which we sort of knew we basically doubled as an All Black trial since the yeah. squad was getting named the next day. Sort of woke up that morning and you're kind of eagerly awaiting either a call from Gilbert Anoka to say you'd made it or a, call from Fozzie to say you hadn't so and obviously so I hadn't been in the squad before so I didn't have either of their numbers saved so it's not like you sort of find rings and you see who it is and you're thinking oh here we go or yeah oh let just see a random number yes is this gonna be please be Bert yeah. um but no uh, yeah it was a cool it was cool just firstly initially being named in the squad but um yeah really kind of sunk in how awesome it was firstly just when we started training and being around the group and like when you go around the community, like when we went to sort of rural areas or I think we went to Fakatane for a camp that first year and just seeing like how excited everyone was about the All Blacks being there and um, how enthused they were about the team. It was pretty cool being a part of that and just seeing yeah, how much people cared for the team. And then obviously getting on the field was yeah, different as well. My first game went terribly actually. <laughs> I got knocked out and we lost. So it wasn't a particularly memorable night. But um, yeah, just, just the whole build up of the week and you know, putting the black jersey on and the hacker and all that sort of thing. It's, um, yeah, it's cool stuff. Yeah, true. That was against Aussie, eh? You only lasted, what was it, under five minutes, was it? Oh, yeah, it would have been, it would have been about, th- yeah, three to five minutes, I reckon. Oh, the, heartbreak. Yeah, knee from Marika Korobeti, and that was um, the end of it. And that was that was actually pretty gutting. Like, it's, like you say, it's not really what you want. You make your debut, and um, yeah, you really sort of get three minutes out there, so that was pretty gutting. I guess I was lucky that, on the last game of the tour against Argentina, I got another run um, and managed to go okay in that game because it would have been a bit depressing if that was the one the one game and involvement I got for the year was just that game against Aussie and um, yeah. it ended pretty pretty abruptly. <laughs> yeah, gutted. You mentioned that North vs South game a little bit earlier as well, um, being the trial, and that was a game where you really lit it up and one of the biggest clutch moments, you jumping over your teammate Mitch Hunt <laughs> to win the match. Oh, talk me through that moment. Have you have you given him a bit of banter about that since? Uh, as sort of time goes on, like, I give him a bit more banter about it. Like, <laughs> sort of like when I saw when I saw him in the sheds after the game, and probably the coming sort of week or two after that, like I didn't really give him too much stick about it. I felt pretty bad actually. No, I didn't feel bad, but like you know. <laughs> Like, he is, like, obviously a really good mate of mine. And yeah. It was unfortunate that it had been over him. It would have been better if it was over someone else. But, um, <laughs> yeah, certainly, certainly as time's gone on, I've started to give him more stick about it. Um, yeah. And, like, when we go to Criteria for New Year's with him and Drummer and Davey and those sorts of boys, like, he got the best stick for it that year. <laughs> but I think, as aside from that, like, that was just such a cool game. Like, I don't know, if they can find any way to – get that game or even a wee series like on the national calendar it'd be awesome I reckon like, mm. I think everyone really seemed to kind of buy into it and obviously the game itself is really cool it's just a shame there was no crowd because 
would have been a pretty cool atmosphere if there had been. Yeah, and it was a perfect game to showcase today eh, with a match-winning try like mm-hmm. that. It was an awesome finish to the game. So did you call that um, cross-kick on, Hunty, because you saw him there and you knew you could out-jump him, or did someone just kick that? No, nah, I think before that, we'd had about three penalty advantages, like right in the attacking zone, and I had been calling for it before that, just obviously just knowing the physical <laughs> difference between me and Hunty, I thought the cross-kick <laughs> might have been a good option. But, like, I didn't really get out there, so... Yeah, I went, me and Geordie went and talked to Josh Uwani, who was at 10, and just said, like, if we get the advantage again, like, just, just pull trigger on it and just kick it. Um, and to be fair, it was a on the money seed from Josh. Like, he was under quite a bit of pressure. They came quite hard at him, and he's, he did very well to execute that, um, mm. under pressure and put it, put it on a dime. Oh, one of the great moments. Love that one. Poor Hunty, though. Sad to Hunty. <laughs> yeah, oh, poor fellow. Oh, I'm sure he'll, <laughs> he'll get him back at some point. <laughs> So what has been the hardest thing going into an all-black environment? What's the what's the biggest difference from being in a super environment to now being an all-black? Yeah, it's a good question. I think initially heading into the squad, like I was quite, like everyone says, it's quite daunting and you're sort of, you're sort of worried that it's going to be really tense and um, a really serious environment and you have to be like on your toes the whole time. But there was probably one thing that I was like pleasantly surprised about. Obviously, like it was a very serious environment and like when we were, on training and stuff like there's real high standards that sort of thing but in terms of like all the lads in the group like it was pretty easy to get along with everyone like there wasn't there's obviously a hierarchy of respect and that sort of thing but like after a few weeks you sort of felt comfortable you know throwing a bit of banter back and forth that sort of thing so that was one thing i did enjoy was actually after a few weeks like not feeling like you're walking on eggshells and just being able to kind of be yourself and i think that's been a bit of a change your weeks have had from what I gather over the last five or six years is that idea of just being able to be yourself and, and be who you are. And then that's helped guys new coming into the team be able to sort of express themselves and, and play well. Um, I think, yeah, one thing I learned this year in terms of the on-field stuff is just how important it is to be on for like every game, which, which seems like obvious, but within a tour or a, you know, 15 game season, like it is, it does happen where mentally you're not, you drift in and out of games or, you know, your mindset's not quite right and that sort of thing. And that was probably something I noticed from that South African game where I didn't have the best game. It wasn't that, like, I wasn't prepared for the game. I wasn't, like, mentally up for it. But, like, it was just a, a good lesson for me and how important it is to just nail your prep every week and just, like, really physically be up for the challenge. Like, mm-hmm. then that's big thing about test footy is, like, if you're not physically up for it, then, like, you get found out. So, yeah, that, those are the two things I, I really took out of it was just, kind of be yourself and the other thing was just making sure week to week that you're extremely diligent and nailing your prep so when you go out there you're ready to go and put your best foot forward yeah mate that mental part of it what you speak about about not drifting in and out of games is massive eh? the good players the great players are so good at mentally staying in the game for that whole 80 minutes and it's a lot harder to do than you think where a lot of guys especially as you come down the levels will be in the moment when they're around the ball and then when when they're off it, they'll drift it drift for just a few seconds, which will end up being the difference between, you know, making the next play or not. Yeah, I think that's something I've not struggled with, but I've had to come to terms with a little bit more play on the wing this year as opposed to fullback. Whereas, yeah. like at fullback, yeah, just in the game a bit more, just because you're you're closer on the field, ball's getting kicked to you a lot and that sort of thing. Whereas, like there were games this year where in the first half, like I'd barely touch the nut and like. I wouldn't even go my way on D and that sort of thing. Like, there's a couple of games I come in the shit at half time and go, geez, like, I've really, like, 
I need, I need to get involved in the game. I need to like get stuck in. But yeah, and it wasn't a case of like I, I hadn't been looking for it or like getting off my wing and stuff. But it's just the way it, it, it sort of went. So that's where I think it's particularly important if you have had a quiet sort of five ten minutes to like say mentally stay on, so that when you do get your opportunity, then like you're ready to take it. Because yeah, how often do you see a team finally gets the ball and then you know they'll drop it straight away and that sort mm-hmm. of thing? So mm-hmm. um, yeah, particularly on the wing, that's something I've had to really be aware of. Mate, you are right on. Love it. Another thing about becoming an All Black is obviously the extra attention you get from fans and public and all sorts. So, how have you found dealing with that? Obviously, everyone will be coming up to you. You're you're a good looking man, and everyone loves a try scorer, which you score plenty. So, you obviously get a heap of attention from the public, and I'm sure women as well. <laughs> um, oh yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess there's a bit more sort of. <laughs> yeah, scrutiny and stuff. Like, I don't know. It's sort of weird to think. Like, I don't really sort of like, you know, walk around town. I'm not signing signatures every, um, you know, five seconds, or I have to, I have to put my hood up or put sunglasses on or that sort of thing to <laughs> to avoid getting seen. Not like bloody LeBron or Cristiano Ronaldo or anything like that. But, um, oh yeah, just a little bit. I think like, the scrutiny thing is something you do have to have to be aware of in terms of that, like pretty mental space, like. I think I've been reasonably fortunate so far in my career that like most of the sort of media or um, sort of comments or like public perceptions been like reasonably positive. Whereas mm. there have been a few games or a few moments where it has been a bit negative, and like it is pretty easy to see that and get quite caught up in it. Like, I remember one game I played for Tassie like early in my career, things have been going pretty well. I had a real poor game, and like went online and was just seeing comments and just like getting sprayed and abused sure. and that sort of thing and like seeing that for the first time like it does actually like it does throw you a little bit like mm. I think I was like 19 at the time so that's something that you've got to deal with I think as you the longer you're in and around the game like you you get used to that and you just sort of go to deal with it and you, and you get better at like filtering it out and I guess understanding whose views are, are sort of important and, and that sort of thing so yeah, it does definitely have good and good and bad aspects of it. The scrutiny. Mm, so, what would your recommendation be for young guys who are, you know, just coming through the scenes and they've had a bad game, getting sprayed on social media? What advice would you give them to cope with that? I think like, the most obvious advice there is is like obviously don't try not to read it or see it, but that's quite often not that easy it's if you're getting harder right? through social mm. media and it's right there. Like it's it's almost slightly unrealistic to not see it because it's just it's so. Yeah accessible so uh, I think the big thing for me is I try to have like someone in your team or in your environment who's like opinion you really kind of respect and you can have like good conversations with your game about so like for me like I'll do my own review and that sort of thing and I'll ever think about how I've played but then like in the Crusaders for example like, I'll use Goody as that like I'll go and have a chat to Goody and I know like we'll be able to have a good yarn around how I've played and if I've generally had a pool game then he'll sort of let me know and that'll be fair enough for us if there's a few things that have happened here or there, then we'll just work on how, how we can improve on that rather than mm. getting too sort of like despondent about it. So I think that's important rather than reading the the views of a hundred people and one person might think you've had a shocker when yeah. in reality that's not necessarily the case. So that, that's probably the one thing I, I like having is just having that one person or two people whose opinions you trust and you can yarn to them and know you'll get like yeah genuine feedback. Great advice, like that. So going forward, what's your plans? You've obviously got the Crusaders next. How many years are you signed with New Zealand Rugby? Um, are, you, are you a Crusader for life? Um, yeah, at this stage I'm just signed up to 
Um, yeah, like you said, his injuries are maybe through till uh, end of next year. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess that sort of process is starting to kind of happen around um, looking on a bit further. Certainly enjoyed my time um, in the black jersey and the Crusaders and Tassie as well. So, yeah, I'd say I won't be going too far. And, yeah, I can't imagine I'll be stopping my franchise anytime soon either. So, um, yeah, fingers crossed that it'll, it'll get sorted and the next few years will be, yeah, hanging around. Is it true you came quite close to signing with the Highlanders or Highlanders made a pretty big attempt to try and get you down there? Um, yeah, a couple, a couple of times. Like both times I've sort of signed uh, in 2017 and 2019, um, I've had a few conversations with the Highlanders. And at the time, those were, I guess, somewhat tempting because, like you say, there was a huge logjam of players at the Crusaders. And I, I was sort of, like in 2019, I think, I played like nine or ten games, half off the bench, half starting. Um, a few times I wasn't even in the 23 and that sort of thing. So the opportunity to head down to the Highlanders, and whilst game time wasn't promised, like there was maybe a bit more of an opening there at fullback after um, Bender was going to leave. The opportunity to play week in, week out was pretty enticing. I had to kind of weigh up whether I wanted to do that or whether I wanted to stick out of the Crusaders, um, a team that obviously meant a bit to me. And I'd learned quite a bit off from the, my first two years. Yeah, well, it was tough, but then and then I decided that um, I was better off sticking around here and sort of felt like the competition of the group was going to bring the best out of me. And I think, yeah, I'm glad I made that decision. I think it's um, mm. that sort of yeah, hopefully proved to be the case. Hundred percent. Did you? Are you looking overseas at some point? Are, are you looking to chase one of these um, wee sabbaticals that the Barretts and Mackenzies are taking at the moment? Would you like one of those? <laughs> There's a bit of yen left for me after those boys have flying into it overseas. The world might be dry. Um, nah, like oh, at some point, in my, at, at some point in my career, uh, I'll be keen to to go explore that. Um, whether it's you know Japan or Europe, I think one thing that is actually enticing for players these days is potentially that like American league sparking up. Like, yeah, I've been to the states a couple of times and. If that league ever did take off, then the opportunity to go live over in the States for a year or two would be something I'd be pretty interested in. So at the moment, it's sort of more in its kind of minor stages. But uh, if that did pick up, I'd be certainly interested in that. But yeah, I think at some point, yeah, I'll I'll jump overseas probably a few years down the track and and give it a nudge. Yeah, because you love your American sports too, don't you? So you'd be right in your element. Yeah, I wonder why I have to try to shift to a running back or a wide receiver or something, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) No, nah, actually, it wouldn't last. Wouldn't last one um one down in in, in the NFL. But no, nah, like I say, it's um like those those American events over there are just next level. Like the um the sheer amount of sport on and the way they do it with all the entertainment and stuff is pretty cool. So opportunity to get stuck in that, head down to the NBA games, NFL games, that sort of thing would be epic. Have you ever looked at a or thought about a um? Code change. You talk about NFL there. I reckon you'd be you'd be a great running back. But um, NRL, anything like that. Have you ever thought about potentially ever doing a switch like that? Um, I have thought about chasing the PJ Tour dream before. No, I haven't. Honestly, golf is one sport that like, I'd I'd love to be a gun golfer. As I've sort of talked about, but yeah. in terms of like a serious a serious change, um, not really like. Like I watched the the NRL a little bit, but yeah. growing up, I never played league or anything like that. Like it's not that big in the South Island or or Christchurch, probably as much as it is up north. Um, yeah. So yeah, I never really played league, and like growing up, I watched the Warriors play a bit and stuff, and I watched the NRL kind of casually a bit now, but um, it's never something that's kind of been 
not for me already been touch with thought. Yeah, fair one, the one sport actually I, I would I would like to like I'd be keen to go do like a week of preseason or just get into the environment would be AFL actually. Like I've always found that a cool game to watch. And like, I think a lot of the stuff they do obviously on the kicking and like the high ball work and that would be have quite a bit of correlation for a um, back three player. Mm. Um, so that's something that Geordie and I have actually talked about a little bit. Like it'd be cool to be able to head into one of their environments and pick up a few things that, that they do with those skill sets because there probably is a bit of a, you know, similarities between that and, and players in the back three or playing 10. Just for a pre-season or would you be keen to do a season? Oh, uh, like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it, like, it would ever actually happen getting to go do yeah. a season, but like, it could be a pretty big plunge. Oh, I mean, Carmichael Hunt had it, gave it a crack, eh? And Israel yeah, Folau. I've done the, the three-peat, the Union mm. League and AFL. Um, oh, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it's something that would realistically happen, but yeah, like, like I say, an opportunity to just maybe just for like a week or two go and train with them and that sort of thing would be something that would be fun. But yeah, I do mm. actually seriously enjoy watching AFL. I reckon it's a cool sport. Right, that's good stuff. And you've spoken a little bit about your you being an economics wizard. So, is that what your plan is after footy? Ah, uh, my degree's more sort of in management. Uh, I do a commerce degree; it's more in management than uh, economics. So, this sort of the summer school papers were a bit limited, so I had to take one of these off. But um, I actually started off first when I was at uni doing law, um, and that proved a little bit difficult when I was playing footy to deal with the readings and stuff for that. So I moved to top commerce. I've got about five papers left, so I'm sort of just really hanging in there. <laughs> the temptation to to put it on hold and just sort of do the footy stuff's um, pretty high, but I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty far enough down the track that uh, I'm holding on. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, like, I don't know necessarily how much – like, I have learned some good stuff throughout my degree and that sort of thing. I don't know how – if I have a long footy career, I don't know if I'm necessarily, like, use that to head into a field. But like a lot of the stuff in the management management's pretty just sort of basic kind of life, um, just understanding people and interactions and that sort of thing. So mm. hopefully some of it correlates. But um, yeah, like I say, I'm just so close now that it'll be hopefully be nice just to get the piece of paper and it'll be something that I guess I can be proud of managing the two between my career. Yeah. What is the dream job for you post footy? Can't be golf. I know it's probably golf, but. <laughs> <laughs> Um, a uh, player agency is something that I've always had a little bit of interest in. Um, oh, yeah. I guess I'm coming from that law background, like, sort of, yeah, there's a few correlations with that. Um, that that's probably the one thing that I've had a bit of an idea around, maybe something I could do, but at this stage, it's pretty early days. Mm. I guess it, it kind of depends on how long the career goes for, and you never know where you might end up and these things happen. Oh, coaching, maybe, but, well, yeah, I'm not sure. You'd be a great coach or a great player agent. Like those two. So I have to use a reference. <laughs> yeah, any time, mate. You're an astute thinker of the game. Anyway, mate, as always, we've gone to our Instagram for some questions, and you have come up with plenty. And a lot of them, like I mentioned in the podcast, a lot of them were from um, women who just wanted to tell you how beautiful you are and things like that. So it's interesting to get you know some with a bit of sex appeal on the podcast, which obviously hasn't happened too much because this is the first time I've had so many questions like that. Oh, <laughs> but a couple of the lads oh, have come up trumps here too. So uh, first question was from Davey Havili, one of the greats. Can he tell us how he got the nickname Glow On? That's a good question, actually. Um, yeah, well, 
yeah, it's basically the first topic for entry, but basically last year we um we had a buy in the rugby championship last year, so we headed down to the local ordering hole down in Manly and we had like a ten o'clock curfew, so we just headed down for a few beers, but yeah, I guess we got through probably five or six beers and as you do you start to get a bit of a tipsy and get a bit of a glow on. So um we were just walking back and Akira Yuani just started calling me out and from there it's just sort of stuff you know, it's been tough to, tough to, tough to shake. Is that your nickname now, Glow On? Yeah, that's pretty much what yeah, most of the boys in the team would call when you yeah. True. What about the coaches? Because that's when you know a nickname becomes official when the coach calls you it. Um nah, the coaches haven't quite got there yet. What do they cool. call you? What's the, what's the nickname they run? They probably call me Will or just, yeah, Jill. Used to be the old one. Oh, we yeah. still hear that around a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Jill and Bill. Yeah. Okay, next one. Who was the hardest player in the world to mark? <laughs> not another shout-out um, to you. <laughs> Tasman Marco, James Lowe, surely. It's not, it's not James Lowe. <laughs> if it's James Lowe, you just – tell you how you, how you defend James Lowe is you just give him the outside, and as a 110kg winger, he's never going to have the pace to guess you, so you just top him from the side. So if I'm playing Jano in the future, there's your, there's your tip there. <laughs> um, uh, oh, there's a few. Like, I think um, – Oh, someone like Mariki Korobiti is quite tough because he's mm. like he's he's quite small. Like he looks sort of quite small and he's quite fast and like um, athletic in that. But then like he's just a real like solid unit. Like so he's sort of got that power game as well, which makes it kind of tough. Like you you've, you've got to sort of consider a few different options. Um, You're still haunted by the two-minute knockout. Yeah, I know. And you know, if you try to tackle with your head, if you try to tackle with your head, then that doesn't go well either. So, um, advice for him: tackle with your shoulders, not your head. Um, yeah, right. Um, yeah, he's obviously the obvious one with that. Um, someone who I haven't really had to mark too much in games um, in Super Rugby, but I have streamed with it training a few times. Is actually Rico because, like I was saying with JLo, like a lot of guys. I'll just try tend when I'm at fullback to give the outside, and I'll just bet my speed to be able to chop them down. Yeah. Whereas he's probably like the one guy, well, maybe not the one guy, but one of the few guys who has probably got me for speed. So I've sort of, I'm cautious of giving the outside, and that sort of opens me up both ways. So mm. he has he has got me a couple of times at training. So he's one I've got to got to work out. But yeah, on the international scene, um, yeah, Cora Betty's pretty tough. So I haven't had to play Chisholm and Colby yet, but he's probably not oh, one yet. Dangerous feat. But it's interesting to hear that you even say that Rico's probably got you on the outside as well. I, uh, Damien mentioned he would be the quickest in the All Blacks, where a lot of people's perception is that you would be the fastest in the All Blacks. So when you're out on the field, you look you look super quick. You make everyone else look slow. So um, what's mm. it about Rico that makes him so fast? Um First, I'm going to bone a pick with Damien, actually. I was listening to that podcast yesterday, and you were talking <laughs> the way you stuff it around who was the fastest, and he didn't actually mention me, and I think the top five names he threw out there. So <laughs> I, might have to, I might have to challenge him to a sprint. He obviously doesn't rate me. It's disappointing. Um, no, nah, but oh, I don't know. He's just got – he's got, obviously, the, the build for it. He's got big, long legs. Um, I reckon between him and I, I think if we just lined up on, like, a – I don't know if it, I wonder if there's a difference between like in-game speed and like genuine like sprinting speed. Yeah, like, I, I think maybe sometimes like I might like in my support play and stuff. Like I sometimes I I think I treat the miners really like sort of anticipate the play. So I think sometimes I look like I'm running real fast, 
just because of compared to everyone else, I might be running just a little bit quicker because they're sort of, yeah, I don't know. That, that's probably the one thing I have thought of in the past because mm. I think definitely Rico, um, in terms of kilometres and stuff, would be quicker than me, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what people say. Like, people say in times and stuff, you're not one of the fastest when your speed times and stuff, but when you watch you on the field, mate, you look the fastest. So, like you say, things like anticipation, being able to carry the ball, uh, you, you seem to be able to run the same mm-hmm. speed while carrying the ball in pretty much two hands as you as you could probably in on the sprint track. So all these little things add up, and, mate, when you've got that ball, you're, you're gone. Yeah, I do. A lot of the boys take the piss out of me for how I always run with the ball in two hands and ball the around like this. Um, I, I, don't, I, I don't know. Quite often I'm doing this on no one even to pass to. Um, I don't know. I think it's just like a habit I've sort of got into. It's, yeah, it's a bit buzzy. But. we got a lot of questions about your speed as well. So, um, And the, pretty much the common one is how do you train your speed? Obviously, Bodie gave away his secret on his episode. A six-week program. What's what's your what's your secret to having it being so fast? Mm, yeah, I think to be honest, like speed um, in terms of like speed drills and coaching and stuff is actually something I'm keen to explore a little bit more. Like I do a few basic things, but I've never really done any like really intense kind of work with like a speed coach or like really done like a big summer of, of drilling in that. So mm. that's something I'm looking forward to doing. But I think. There's a couple of the big things. One is just having like a good like lower body like strength like load. Like I think like the stronger you can get like in terms of your squat and your hammies, like your calf raises and stuff, like that's pretty important to to running fast. So that's like something I sort of try and do, even though I may not necessarily love the gym that much. <laughs> and then I guess yeah, in terms of that in terms of that on field stuff though, I think a lot of it like if you want to be fast like on the field, a lot of that stuff around like more reaction and agility and that thing's more important because it's not that often that you're going to really wind up to top gear and you know hit your max speed a lot of it's around like probably five to 15 meter efforts and i guess being faster in that space is a big difference between like making a line break and getting caught like it's a pretty Mm -hmm. small kind of thing so any kind of like agility drills you can do which is around like quick changes of direction or even any games where like you're reacting to something happening and then having to like sprint off that, if that makes sense, I think will help correlate speed off the field, kind of translate into like on the field and performance. Yeah. And when you talked about your uh, coming through the grades as a young fella, you talked about your growth spurt and just becoming faster. That, did that just happen naturally, that um, speed that you got? Yeah, I think so. Like I, I was reasonably fast when I was real young and then when I had that, period of being sort of Mitch Hunt's side. Um, I slowed down a bit. <laughs> and, then, and then as I got taller, uh, yeah, the speed did, did just sort of come back. And then I think definitely over the last probably year or two, I've got a bit quicker as I've started to take the gym a bit more seriously and yeah. got a bit stronger. Definitely that's something I think has, has helped. Interesting. Okay, next question's from uh, Hunty, actually. How come you haven't had any success oh. in the Stillwell Golf Day yet? Oh. This is something that does haunt me, actually. We have a um, there's a lot, of, a lot of stories I hear about why golf just being disappointing, actually. And it's, it's probably, it probably is, unfortunately, painting a true reflection. It's a bit upsetting. It comes to the realization that maybe I'm not as good at golf as I think I am. But it hit me quite deep. Um, nah, yeah, we had this little day when we were up in Kaichu for New Year's. We got these teams um, and we play this 
this one-off golf day, nine holes for these jackets. Um, me and my partner, this guy from Nelson, Ollie Jones-Allen, we haven't had much luck yet, actually. It's been either two or three years now, and every other team apart from us has won. Uh, I think last year, Drummy and Quinn, Strange won, Hunty and Dave the year before. So, yeah, there's a lot of pressure on us this year to, to deliver. And given the fact that I've four-putted <laughs> a green to lose a match about a week ago, it's... <laughs> Telling my preparation needs a bit of work. So that's a good friendly reminder to probably get my putter out of my room and just start you know, you up. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. Well, that goes on to the next one. Who is better for a night out, Finn Christie or David Harvelli? Um, oh, it's, it's, it's definitely Dave because, like, <laughs> Reed, Reed can go all night, but, like, if you're going out with Reed, he's just going to be an absolute piss the whole night. And he's just guaranteed to do something, something to you that's just going to piss you off. Like, he's just, he's just got that personality where he just can't help himself. So, like, in terms of, in terms of who can go harder, like, they're both, you know, pretty available for it. But if you're going out with Reed, you need to keep eyes in the back of your head because at some point he's going to come for you. Him and, him and Ethan Blackhead on this tour have honestly just been, you've, ne- you've never met a duo like it. <laughs> Two just unique individuals. <laughs> Oh, a couple of lads. <laughs> I do enjoy having a few beers red though. I'm probably being a bit harsh there, but um yeah, I'll give, I'll give Davey the, the nod. Yeah, give it to Skip. Okay, next one. Um why have all black wingers had such a high turnover rate and how are you going to stop that? So that's interesting ones. So sort of around I guess what you talked about about that pre season and not really getting that pre season, mm. how you managed to come back into it. Honestly, I thought you were meaning like turnover rate as in like when we're <laughs> Like carrying the ball, we keep losing, keep losing it in contact. I was like, "Jeez, absolutely confident." Yeah. So I was pleased you said that. But um, no, I think like yeah, it is an interesting one. I think uh, obviously the outside backs are a position that is a little bit reliant on athleticism in a way, like speed, mm. agility, and that sort of thing. So it does seem to be as you get older, like like props can sort of play through to the sort of thirty-five and still be pretty effective. Whereas yeah. Most outside backs, by the time they get into kind of 27, 28, are probably starting to decline. And I think um, one thing you've got to give Ben Smith credit for is the way he was able to keep playing and be effective for the All Blacks. He was about 33. So mm. um, I guess that's kind of the blueprint for it um, around staying in the game in the back three for as long as possible. So might have to, might have to give him a call at some point and ask for the secret. But um the other, the other thing is that you just see across the country, there's so many good wingers coming through. Like, yeah, like you say, like even just for the Crusaders next year, there's like seven or eight, well, six or seven guys who could easily play on the wing for the All Blacks, and it's the same across all the franchises really. Like you look at this year, even Leicester um, and John and Ricky were two guys who were just carving up Super Rugby. You know, you'd think it'd be in the All Black frame, and didn't make it. Obviously, didn't even have Caleb Clark this year because he was playing seven. So. Mm. there's just a sheer number of guys who are putting their hands up and I think as a result you do just see a bit of a, a bit of a turnover when you do get to 27-ish will you start thinking maybe moving back into nine <laughs> that might be the, the late career shift <laughs> to keep me going well Davey's I was actually talking to Davey about this because he's well, he's not that old yet Davey's what he must be 26 and so we were saying he's kind of done that sort of age grade shift into the midfield which yeah. potentially could keep him going for a few years. So I don't know, I might have to start working on my, I might have to move into the midfield maybe. I think I'm too tall for half right now. I've been kicking, I've been kicking a few goals at All Blacks training just in my spare time. 
Have um, you? On tour, so just 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 casually, not as a real legitimate option. But um, but maybe I'll make it. We move into ten could be nice. So if we can catch pass a bit. But, could we? It might be a better shout than playing nine. <laughs> could we see a few goals from you in the um, Super Rugby this year, kicking goals? Oh, I, th- I think if we see a pen- if the Crusaders get a penalty, probably sixty five out, then you can probably expect more lot to point my place to me to get the tee. <laughs> um, I'm actually, I'm actually a very, I'm actually a pretty poor goal kicker. Oh yeah. Um, oh, like, oh yeah. No, not, not that great. Like I can, I can have it, give them a hack, but I'm not. You know, if I'm kicking five goals from the paddock, probably, you know, three are going over. Oh, yeah. Not so you're four or five. Um, and, yeah, probably about 55 will be my range. So I don't have, like, a, don't have a torpedo like some of those other boys. So mm-hmm. it's going to be a while before I get a kick. Probably take, like, a kickoff or something before I'm getting a shot at goal. <laughs> it's a shame for all the fantasy rugby players because I don't know if you know, but you probably do, but you are a fantasy rugby wizard at um, super rugby level, always Leading the line breaks, um, tackle breaks, that's those sort of stats. So, um, if you added goal kicking to your string, oh mate, that would just be—you'd be the first million dollar player. Yeah. One thing um, Andrew Goodman can can vouch for is that I am a gun from the left hand touch line. That is the one spot that I am incredible from, and that's because it's right by the changing sheet at the Crusaders. So oh, yeah. I won't actually do a goal kicking session, but as I'm on the way to the sheet, I'll just quickly grab someone's tee and just have a shot from there. <laughs> I won't ever really hit in front, so if there's ever an opportunity to, the left-hand touch line would be, That's your spot. would be the spot for it. Oh, mate, I'd love to see that on a match winner. That would be good stuff. Okay, next one. This one's from Staffy, actually. Are you tired of getting the All Blacks out of your shit with your individual brilliance? <laughs> um, oh. <laughs> no, to be honest, there haven't been too many, too many times where um, the boys have been down to be fair, like, most of the time when I've been playing, I've just been getting on the end of the gravy train and, and putting them down. I think Damien McKenzie in particular, he's getting sick of just putting balls out on my chest five metres short of the line of me having them run around. <laughs> he reckon he deserves a lot, a, lot of, a lot of the credit for it. So um, yeah, he's actually not happy. I think the try screen stuff, a lot, a lot of them are just, yeah, it's just a wing as well, really, just to get on the end of the train and... and um, get a few put downs like if you're not scoring tries then it's sort of a bit of an issue so um yeah well you're certainly doing that mate okay next question hardest team to beat at the 2023 rugby world cup in your opinion hmm yeah there's a couple of teams that stand out i think um obviously the africans are a team that like historically have been a big rival for us and they just play such a unique game with that kicking game that i think yeah you can see from any team they've played this year like it's just they're just a tough team to beat because because they're not playing with the ball much. Like they basically just playing that pressure game. They're forcing to make keeps of mistakes. So mm. like they're a hard team to kind of run away from just just from the way they play. Um, so they're always going to be a tough game. Um, obviously, Ireland. I thought were very impressive when we played them. Um, yeah, they 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 played some great rugby in that game. That's going to be tough. And then lastly, the French with it being on their home soil. A young group as well, so they're going to probably grow over the next couple of years. Um, and certainly on the weekend when um, they had some momentum, you know, Stade de France with I think eighty-two thousand French behind them. It's a pretty, yeah, it's a pretty fizzing atmosphere, and um, you know, it's a, it's sort of all goes. So I think we're playing them the first game of the World Cups against them at that stadium. So true. Um, that'd be one if, if you wanted to go watch a good game of footy. I'd imagine that would be uh, right up there.
That's the one to lock in, and hopefully you're on the wing running out with the lads. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Two more questions. Um, what's it like being the sexiest man on the planet? Questions like these came in a lot, like I sort of mentioned before, but, geez, you've got a lot of women followers, mm. fans. Mm. Um, well, I am pleased those sorts of comments are coming in because, obviously, um, during Super Rugby this year, I caught the real good um, boot across the face <laughs> and caught a decent, a decent scar um, across the cheek. So I think I was a bit worried that, um, they might have had a big impairment on my looks. So, um, although it is sort of slightly wild feedback, um, <laughs> it's good to know that there hasn't, I guess, altered the perception too much. <laughs> Would you look to get into modelling or anything like that? Um, nah, I don't, I don't think so. Richie's doing some Probably good stuff with his um, denim jacket and top off and. Obviously, yeah. Damien was pretty keen to get nude for yeah. the week calendar, so what about you? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's probably not something I'm, I'm not not too comfortable with the old bonding shoots. It's bad enough when you got your, your, your giddy and your sky shoots for promo day, so I <laughs> might have to leave that up to those lads. Dam- Damien and Richie, they look very comfortable behind the camera, don't they? Jordy yeah, as well, I've seen his Hellenstein shoots going around, he's a natural, so yeah, there's, enough, <laughs> there's enough bodies in, in that space in New Zealand. Mate, the modelling competition's as much as the outside backs at the moment. You guys are all on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> crazy. Okay, last question. Advice for a young player? Yeah, good question. I think, like, the pathway I've always followed with my footy, I think it's just the way it's gone. Is like, I've just always really enjoyed the game. Like, I sort of started from when I didn't really, wasn't really necessarily striving to be a professional player. I just sort of enjoyed playing footy and, um, that and just having a good time with my mates has been something that uh, I've tried to always sort of hold true. And I think when you're enjoying your footy and you're playing with a good bunch of guys, that's when you're playing your best footy. Mm. And like, for example, I look back on that, I've talked about a little bit in the podcast around that Tasman title in 2019. Like, it's the guys that we did it with that I think about rather than the actual win. Like, guys like Hunty, yeah. Red, um, you know, Quinny, Davey, Nank, all, all, Tim O'Malley, those guys who I'd sort of been real close mates with and been able to celebrate with them is, is the thing that I can remember from it. So that's what I take out of it is like it's all, you know, working hard and that sort of thing is obviously very important um, and a huge part of being a professional sportsman. But I just think for me, if you're not enjoying it um, and you're not in an environment and, and around people that you want to be in, then it's pretty tough to, to be successful. So um, that's, that's the one thing I can take out of it. Mate, absolutely nailed it like I knew you would, hey? Always come up trumps with advice. <laughs> mate, well, absolute pleasure having you on the podcast, mate. Um, you're an absolute legend. Like I said, watching watching you play is um, – you're one of those guys who everyone gets out of the seat when you got the ball. And watching you come through the ranks from Tasman is probably where I first uh, noticed you and then going through the grades to now being, a, you know, the cemented all-black winger has been awesome to watch and obviously hear a lot of stories about what you added to the group um, here in Tasman and you've been a big part of this side's success uh, with not only on the field but in the culture as well. So, mate, it's awesome having you on the podcast. Uh, sorry it's taken so long and sorry it's had to be via um, online, but, mate, great to finally get it done. No, thanks, Jimmy. It's been great to finally join the club of elite athletes and lads who have been on the potty. So, um Nah, it's been awesome, and hopefully someday I can get in the studio and do the fat face-to-face. Oh, mate, can't wait. Appreciate it, mate. You're a legend. Cheers, Jimmy.
what a 